Take your Bibles today and turn to Colossians chapter 3. Paul's letter to the Colossian church, chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Today I'd like to preach a message entitled, What Does Jesus Do? He Restores Our Lives. He Restores Our Lives. From Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse number 12. Therefore God's chosen ones, holy and loved, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, accepting one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. Above all, put on love, the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of the Messiah, Christ, to which you were called in one body, control your hearts. Be thankful. Let the message about the Messiah dwell richly among you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. May God bless the reading of His holy, inspired, and errant word this morning. The Bible tells us that if we're in Christ, we become Christians. If indeed Jesus Christ has come into our hearts to live, to rule, and to reign, then a change has indeed taken place in our lives. Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul reminds us of this great change in our lives. A change that's taken place because we've come to know Christ as Savior and Lord. <clears throat> if indeed... He has come into our lives as Savior and Lord, then our lives have changed from the old sinful nature and taken on a brand new nature. We have said goodbye to the old man, to Mr. Mr. Wrong and all the habits, <clears throat> passions, and evil doings of the past. Because we have been restored through Jesus Christ in our lives, He has given us abundant, everlasting life. And we are new creations made in His image. But this morning, if you're here, you've never entered into a personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to this morning to consider Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. In our text today, Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12, the Apostle Paul provides for us some very clear instructions on what the new person in Christ should look like. We're provided instructions on how to live the new life in Christ and given a description of what the restored life in Christ indeed looks like. When I was growing up, we used the old green 1957 edition Baptist hymnal. It was published the year that I was born, so it's now an antique hymnal. Amen? But in that hymn book, we sang a song written by a man named Rufus McDaniel. He wrote a song that we sang quite often in our church. And this song talks about the change that took place in a person's life when he came to know Christ as Savior and Lord. When I share the words of this song, you'll probably remember singing it, especially if you grew up going to church. And we sang this song last Sunday here. It goes like this. What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. I have lied in my soul, for which long I have sought, since Jesus came into my heart. Kind of high, isn't it? 
Remember the words, since Jesus came into my heart, since Jesus came into my heart, floods of joy overflow like the sea billows roll. Since Jesus came into my heart. That is precisely what the Apostle Paul is saying. Since indeed Jesus Christ came into your heart, a certain and undeniable change should have taken place in your life. That change is not something brought about by anything we have done. We cannot bring that change. This change is brought about by Jesus Christ and what he has done for us in our lives through saving us. As we read today these verses, we read them, we're reminded that the Bible is not a book about people. The Bible is a book about God and how he deals with people. In this case, the Bible is a book about God's dealing with you and with me even today. As we examine the scriptures today, I just read, let us be reminded that God is always proactive. Proactive. He takes the initiative. He took the initiative in creation. He took the initiative in salvation. And he takes the initiative in our sanctification. God always takes the initiative and calls on us to respond appropriately to his call. Today, from our text in Colossians chapter 3, I want to share what Paul shares with us today. To enumerate five areas in which Jesus Christ has taken the initiative to restore us. Each of these areas include a response that we are expected to make as individuals who are being restored to fellowship with Him. First, I want us to see in verse 12 of chapter 3, that God took the initiative in choosing us so that we could enjoy favor with Him. Look at verse 12. Therefore, God's chosen ones, holy and loved. The Apostle Paul reminds us in this text of a very important fact. The fact is that God has chosen us through salvation in Christ. Therefore, those who are believers can enjoy a position of unique favor with God. But also say God is holy. Holy means to be set apart, to be changed, to be different. You and I are made holy not by what we have done. We are made holy through a life-changing, transformational relationship with Christ as Savior and Lord. Through this relationship, we have been set apart from sin, set apart from the rest of the world, and set apart unto God. We are God's unique creation, His chosen people, chosen to demonstrate, to show the reality of Christ to the world in which we live. We are chosen to be different so those around us can see the power and the glory of God in and through our lives not occasionally, but daily. Why did God restore us? He restored us so that we could demonstrate, so that we could show His love and His power to the world around us. You see, because God loves us, He counsels us. 
He does that to say to us, put off the old man. Put off the old sinful way of life. And put on or clothe ourselves in brand new clothes. New clothes that, are, that come from knowing Christ as Savior and Lord. Several years ago, John was pastor of First Baptist Church, Cottsville, Alaska, above the Arctic Circle. One day at the church, officers a knock on the door. And he and his wife, Terry, opened the door, and there stood a young lady who was in worn-out clothes and who was very notorious in the town of Cottsville, for she, wore, she earned her living by walking the streets daily to find business. But that very day, something drew her to the church, and we knew what that was. It's the Holy Spirit of God drawing her to the church. She said, I'm coming, to, I'm searching. I'm trying to find an answer to life. Can you help me? And there that day, John and Terry took a moment, took time to, to bring her into the church and talk to her about Christ. And that day, this, uh, this streetwalker in Cosby, Alaska, gave her heart and her life to Christ as Savior and Lord. Her life was transformed because she trusted Christ to be her Savior and Lord. The following Sunday, she wanted to be baptized. Well, you know, in Alaska, it's very cold, especially in the fall and winter, right? Well, they got the baptistry ready, they thought. There's an old baptistry made of wood and pitch. They got it kind of patched together, filled up the water on Thursday to have it ready for Sunday. Lo and behold, the, the, the water leaked out, and so they had to go back and patch it again and refill it and get it ready for Sunday morning. They got it to where the water would hold, and on Saturday they cut on the heater for the water, hoping to have nice warm water in the baptistry. Well, Sunday morning comes, and guess what? The water is almost as cold as it was outside. It wasn't warm at all. But this lady said, I've come to be baptized because I'm a new person in Christ. She came to church anyway and walked in that cold water and uh, was baptized in old clothes she had worn on the street. When she got through with being baptized, uh, she said, take those clothes when they dry and burn them. I don't want them anymore. And the lady said, well, we can wash them, get them cleaned up for you. Oh, no, no. Those old clothes I'm, I wore today represent the person I used to be before coming to Christ. I'm a new person now. Those clothes I'm not wearing because I'm not walking the streets. I'm walking for Jesus. You see, Paul says to us, put on the clothes of righteousness, new clothes. In Colossians here, Paul's telling us to put on certain qualities, characteristics that will prepare us for peace, not for war. In Ephesians, Paul also added additional words along with Colossians to instruct believers to put on an armor for war, the armor of God, and to dress ourselves for a peaceful existence with other Christians. We're told to instruct our, to, to clothe ourselves with garments, garments of not the old life, but the new life in Christ. So these garments are worn by those people who have tra been transformed are changed by Jesus. So first, say God took the initiative in choosing us that we can enjoy favor with Him. But next, secondly, because He has changed us, we should love God's people. We should love God's people. Verses 12 to 14 state this, Put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, accepting one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. Above all, put on love the perfect bond of unity. 
What Paul is talking about here is unity in the body of Christ, the church. He is talking in detail about the kind of harmony that should exist among the people who really love the Lord, among people in whom God's Holy Spirit resides. Verse 14 of Colossians 3 sums it all up, and also the preceding characteristics should all be seen in the light of the love of God. Let us remember that love is the belt that binds the garments together. What is the first article of clothing that we should put on, according to Colossians 3? The first article is that of the heart of compassion. The heart of compassion. We're to put on mercy, mercy, sympathy. As believers, we are part of the same family and should not be indifferent to each other. We should not be cruel or cold toward each other, but we should love each other as Christ loved the church. A strong quality of a genuine Christian is that he or she demonstrates heartfelt compassion for other believers. Second article we're to put on is kindness. Kindness, compassion, kindness. Our lives should reflect goodness or generosity. When we put on kindness, our words will be tempered with grace and tenderness. A kind person is not abrupt or harsh, but rather soft-hearted and exhibits a genuine, real care about other people. Paul instructs believers next to put on the garment of humility, compassion, kindness, humility. What does Paul mean by putting on the garment of humility? He means that we're to submit ourselves to one another. We're to put the other person before ourselves. A person who puts on the garment of humility is one who is lowly, who is meek. In God's economy, the lowly are exalted and, and, and the proud are brought down. If indeed Jesus Christ humbled himself, the Bible says he did, even to death on the cross, we too must humble ourselves. You and I live in a world where we're constantly told that we must promote ourselves. People today are trying to one-up each other. Pride is often easily wounded. But the Christian believers should never be possessed by this kind of attitude. Let us remember that God is always more concerned with the condition of our heart. Why? Because the heart is what determines our actions and the course of our lives. Fourthly, we're told to put on the garment of gentleness or meekness. What does it really mean to be clothed with a garment of gentleness or meekness? This term really means that we're willing to suffer injury instead of inflicting injury. This concept is definitely different from the way the world thinks. The world often sees meekness as weakness. Several years ago, humorist J. Upton Dixon proclaimed he was going to write a brand new book entitled Cower Power. This book would be the basis for a new support group for, for submissive people. This new support group would be called Doormats. Doormats. Doormats was an acronym or acrostic for this, this organization, dependent organization of really meek and timid souls. That's our name, he said, if there are no objections. 
The motto of the organization was, the meek shall inherit the earth if that is okay with everybody else. The symbol for this group was a yellow traffic caution light. But the Bible is contrary to that and states that Jesus was meek but not weak. Meekness was, from, from God's perspective, found in the Bible, is strength under control. More strength is required to exhibit meekness than to burst forth with anger and lose control. The fifth garment we're told to put on is patience. Patience. We often say, I have patience, but hurry. What is patience? Patience is something I need more often than not. But it is the long suffering in the face of injury or insult. Patience is marked by the ability to respond in love when others treat you poorly. Patience is not something that we see in the world or taught by the world to practice. But we must understand in God's economy, patience is indeed a virtue. When we put on these garments, two things happen. We put on patience and kindness and meekness and compassion. These things happen. First, we learn to to forbear each other. That means simply to put up with each other, to tolerate each other. It means to endure There cannot be, there will not be unity in the body of Christ and the church unless there is a willingness to tolerate each other and practice forgiveness. Secondly, we must forgive each other even as Christ forgave us. We are instructed to forgive each other even if we have a valid complaint against someone. We're we're supposed to let it go, forgive it, and let it go. The third point is this. Thirdly, in verse 15, because God has called us, we can can participate in the peace of God. Because God has called us, we can participate in the peace of God. Look at verse 15. And let the peace of the Messiah, the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, control your hearts. Then these two words, be thankful. Translation of the word called means to summon or to call your name. It could also be commissioned to be sent. The imagery here is that God has called you out of the world to live in His eternal presence. In the presence of God, there is peace. There is peace. If believers would picture themselves in the presence of holy, almighty God, where His holiness and, and might, His splendor and glory are tangible realities, there would never be any lack of unity of peace between them. The peace of God here in Colossians 3 is not the indwelling feeling of comfort, but instead it is an an external reality that meditates or acts as an arbiter between believers. What Paul is saying here is this, that the peace of God should rule our hearts every day. It should have control or power over our hearts to the end that we as a body are one. Because we are called, are summoned to God's presence, we're to allow His peace to arbitrate all of our dealings with one another. We're called to speak the truth in love, confront sin, and forgive the sinner. God forgave us through Christ our Savior and Lord. 
and therefore we ought to forgive others who sin against us. Fourthly, verse 16 says, because God counsels us, we build up the church, the family of God. Verse 16, let the message about the Messiah dwell richly among you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in our hearts, our, your hearts to God. There is much that we could say about the Word of God, about its promises, its prophecies, its principles, and its priorities. In the context of Colossians 3, Paul is talking about the instructive teaching nature of the Word of God as a person reads it, studies it, and meditates on it. When a person takes time to, to read and dig deep and meditate on the Word of God, he will ingest the Bible, God's Word, as spiritual, life-changing food. Paul is talking about how the richness of the Word bears fruit in our lives. As the Bible teaches us, as the Bible counsels us, then we instruct or admonish one another. The truth here is that we are accountable to God for one another, particularly in the church. Utilizing God's wisdom, we're to teach and admonish each other. Teaching is the positive sign in which we share insights, truths, and wisdom with each other from God's Word. Admonition means to warn or to caution one another. When you love someone, you want to instruct them, warn them, and caution them. You instruct them in what they should do and warn them about what they should not do. We're instructed by, through God's Word to build up the church, the family of God, through an attitude of praise and worship. We're to, to, to allow God's Spirit to work in our lives using our spiritual gifts to build up the body of Christ. As we give thanks to God for all He has done and will do, we will build up each other. There are some, though, on the other hand, when they admonish or teach others, assume a condescending or pharisaical attitude that makes them to be kind of holier than thou. The Bible is teaching us that our attitude should be one of praise and worship, filled with, with thanksgiving and gratitude in our hearts. What Paul is saying is this. When you are focused on praising God, when you are focused upon worshiping Him, upon thanking Him for all He has done for you, it will keep you in His perfect presence and mindful of His mercy and His grace and mindful of our own unworthiness. And when we are focused indeed on thanking God for all He has done, it'll keep you and me from having a wrong, awful, low-down, bad, rotten attitude towards somebody else. It'll build us up. Fifth and lastly, or as Paul says, finally, brethren, because God cares for us, we cherish the name of God. Look at verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of who? The Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. 
Because God cares for us, we cherish the name of God. Our gratitude should cause us to be careful about how we carry the name of Christ. It should cause us to be mindful of the fact that we are called Christians, that our actions reflect to the world the reality of Christ. So many times, you and I are the only Jesus Christ some ever see. Seeing Him work through our lives. We are not Jesus. But as Christians, they see in our lives a reflection of the glory of God through Christ our Savior and Lord. They ought to. That is what it means to do something in the name of Christ. To do so on His behalf, under His authority, and according to His will. Paul says, whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Which means, tomorrow at work or at school, whatever you do, in word or in deed, your actions, your thoughts, your mindset, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about Him. And always give thanks to the Father. Why? Because He is working in and through us every day. Give thanks. So what does Jesus do? He restores our lives. He restores our lives. What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. I have lied in my soul for which long I have sought since Jesus came into my heart. Since Jesus came into my heart. Since Jesus came into my heart. Floods of joy o'er my soul like the sea billows roll. Since Jesus came into my heart. The question today is this. Has Jesus come into your heart? Is that wonderful change in your life evident this morning? Has light, the light of Christ, filled the darkness of your soul? If it has, how has it changed the way in which you treat your fellow Christian friends? Has God's presence given you the ability to forgive and to love others more than you love yourself? What change has been wrought in your life? Has your life been restored through a personal relationship with Christ? If not, then why not today? I want to invite you today to come to Jesus, just as you are. He is the one who can restore your life. He can save your soul. He can become your Savior and Lord. There is no other way to heaven except through Christ our Savior and Lord. John 14, 6 says the words of Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So today I invite you to come to Jesus. Let Him save your soul. Be your Savior and Lord. Come and just kneel and pray. Say, God, I'm living so far from you. I come just as I am. Restore me. Cleanse me. Make me new. Help me to see that change in my life more evidently. Come and unite with this church and be a part of what God is doing here at First Baptist Church, Fairburn. A great church with a great future. Whatever God is saying to you today, respond 
just as you are to Jesus.